I had a week in Australia this week. Went to a pastors' conference over in Australia, and uh, just it was an interesting time, really. And uh, young movement just started out, and uh, we had about 50 people there in the conference, and uh, just a tremendous time. How God came, amazingly came, and just astonished people, just with the sharpness of words that just broke open their lives. It was just a tremendous time, and uh, also a great time of connecting with people too. Well, I want you to open your Bible, look at Genesis chapter two. We're just doing a series on shame. I want to pick it up now. I want to begin to look at the sources of shame. And uh, we want to just have a look then at the steps that we can break out because there's steps out. And uh, I don't want to do it all at once. I want to just do one step today. Then we're going to look and progressive over a couple of Sundays, how you break this thing off your life. And uh, let's just have a look in Genesis 2 and uh, just revise where we were for those who are perhaps here for the first time. Genesis 2 verse 25 the man, uh, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So God's original design was we should be unashamed. Unashamed means you can be who you are. There's nothing at all that you feel embarrassed about, about your life, about your ears, your nose, your height, your hair, your anything. You're just happy to be who you are. And uh, we saw that when people are unashamed as God designed us, then uh, people can be connected in relationship. We become confident. And also we're able to apply what we've got to life. We can be quite creative in our various areas of life. But when shame comes around our life, everything changes. So let's have a look in Genesis 3, what happened when shame came in. And uh, verse uh, 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 7, then, that's after Adam and Eve had sinned, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. They became conscious and aware of something they didn't realize before. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings for their loins. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God in the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Who have you been talking to? You see what happens now as uh, Adam and Eve uh, sinned, as they broke their relationship with God, something that God had imparted to them was lost. The Bible tells us very clearly that man was made to be clothed in glory. So uh, we see that the original Adam and Eve were covered with the life of God. Their life radiated the presence of God. We saw that they were very good, part of God's creation. But the moment sin entered in, something changed. They actually became different. They became separated from God and different on the inside. The glory, the life that they had, the beauty that they had now had disappeared and they became very self-conscious. Before they had not been self-conscious or self-focused at all, now the presence of something wrong. We saw that shame, the message of shame is something is wrong with me, I'm damaged. The message of shame is, I am different, and now I'm in danger that I will be exposed, rejected, and hurt. I have to do something. And you notice when God came to uh, Adam, it says what, it said, what he said to him was this. Adam spoke to God, and he said, I was afraid. I felt deep fear come into my life, and he said, because I was naked, because something was wrong and damaged, and so I hid myself. And we saw the two things Adam and Eve did as a result of fear. One, they concealed themselves one from another. And we saw that shame, when shame is around your life, you will cover over who you are. 
You'll try to put on a mask and be something you're not. And we saw also that they hid from God. They hid from an intimate relationship with God. We saw that shame is an intimacy thief. It stops you connecting intimately in any relationship because you can't really reveal who you are. If you showed who you are, well, you might be exposed and shown up and rejected or judged, and that's extremely painful. The Bible says, they said, we were afraid. They'd never felt shame, never felt fear, never run away and hid before, and now the moment they've sinned, something has changed in their life. So we saw that these were some of the impacts of shame. We want to pick this up and take it on a little bit further now. And uh, what I want you to pick up, first of all, in uh, Genesis 3, verse 21, it says, Now Adam, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So we see Adam and Eve had covered themselves. When, you cover, when shame is around your life, you just are terrified someone's get to know you. That's why people who are covered with shame will always avoid the prophetic. They don't want to be around anyone who's prophetic because they feel immediately that prophetic person is looking right into their life and can see what they're really like, so they avoid them. The other kind of people that uh, people with shame hate is people who move in deliverance for exactly the same reason. They fear that you can look into their life and will see what they're really like, and so they avoid you. And one of the experiences I've had over many years of ministry is uh, ministries avoid me because they, once they hear I work in deliverance, immediately they don't want to know me. And some, because I work in prophecy, the same reason. They will immediately avoid me. They'll just take a step back. And I know as a result of that, that there is shame in their life. There are things covered and hidden they don't want me to see. And the only way to get out of that is to withdraw from that person. And notice also, notice also this, that when Adam heard the voice of the Lord, so even though he had sinned, he can still hear the voice of the Lord. And when he heard the voice of the Lord, he ran away and hid. Now, one of the things that I found that happens is when people have uh, got things in our lives that we're ashamed of, we want to hide from God. So we stop coming to fellowship. One of the first signs there's shame on a person's life. If they've been a Christian walking with God and something's gone wrong, they will immediately withdraw because the presence of God brings to mind this painful condition. So when you come into church, for example, and things aren't going wrong in your life, how many people say this? You feel like everyone can see right into you and see what's going on in your mess. Is that true? Yeah, and you don't want to be there. So we try and find a place to hide in the middle or hide in the back or just don't come or go get busy doing something. That's true. That's what people do. It hasn't changed a bit. When people feel ashamed, we hide. We just find ways, clever ways, sophisticated ways of hiding and covering what we're really like. Some become over cocky. Some uh, get overconfident and arrogant. Some people tell lots of jokes. Uh, some people withdraw and hide. Some people get very busy in work. Some people show off the stuff they've got. But all of it's fig leaves and hiding. All of it. And it's all stops them connecting authentically. And God wants us to be helped. So you notice here in the Scripture here that God helped them. The first thing that God did after confronting the condition and, and laying out the consequence of the next thing He did was this. He actually made provision for Adam and Eve to have a covering. And it was actually a temporary covering until the day of Jesus Christ when we could receive what He really wanted us to have back. 
And so we see that uh, it says he made skins, he made clothes for them out of skins. So some innocent animal had to die, shed its blood, in order that Adam and Eve could be covered. And so right there in Genesis, you see a picture for us of the path out of shame. We have to actually come out of our place of hiding. We need to let go the coverings we've covered ourselves and receive God's provision, God's covering. And say it again, it's very simple. We need to come out of the place of hiding, out of the fig tree, out of the trees. So maybe you've been hiding in business, hiding in family, hiding in your hobbies, hiding in this, hiding in that. God calls us to come out of the place of hiding to a loving God who cares about us. He calls us to come to a place where we can then remove what has covered us and receive from Him what He's provided for us. And when you have God's covering around your life, security comes. You're not worried if anyone finds you anymore. You're not worried if anyone finds out what's going on anymore. There's nothing to be found out. There's something has changed on the inside. We're clothed with something that God has provided. So we're going to move that way and end up there today. I want to just have a look and start to just open up some areas of how shame comes into our life. I want to just talk about three sources of shame. I'm going to focus on one of them particularly. Uh, here's the three sources of shame. The source is where it comes from. Now, the first thing it comes from is our own sin, our own sin. When we sin, we feel ashamed of what we've done. person who sins, messes up their life, does something foolish, we feel ashamed. So there's a certain measure of shame comes because we blew it. In Proverbs 14 and verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin brings shame. <clears throat> now you can try and pretend there's no shame in it, but there is. When people blow their lives, they get caught up in alcohol, drugs, and they find themselves in a mess, there's a shame about it. You can tell there's a shame. People try and hide it all the time. Whenever we sin, there's a sense of shame. Something is wrong with us. Something has broken us. And so the Bible tells everyone has sinned. So the first thing is fairly self-evident. Our own actions can bring shame on our life. So one of the pathways out of shame is to begin to live in God's wisdom so you don't goof up and do stupid things. You begin to live a life that's very productive. Second source of shame are demonic spirits. Notice what Jesus, uh, the Lord says in Genesis 3.11. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were no naked? It implies uh, in the scripture, it doesn't directly state it, that someone had told them they were naked. Someone had mocked them, ridiculed them, and laughed at them. It doesn't record that part, but God does ask, who said to you that you were naked? How did you actually know you were naked? Who's been talking to you? Who have you been listening to? So one of the things we see about the devil, and the Bible describes it in Revelation 12 and verse 10, he is an accuser. The devil himself was once an angel clothed in light. He was cast down and his angelic coverings and beauty was taken away, and he is clothed with shame and dishonor. And so what he seeks to do is to point out everything wrong in your life. So you find one of the major strategies the devil has, spirits of shame, spirits of fear, all kinds of tormenting, accusing spirits, they attack us and try and point out where we lack and where we fail. You have to be aware there is a spirit world around you and demons will come and if possible, attach to your life and then begin to whisper into your ear. And if you begin to listen and take on board their lies and come into agreement with them, after a while, you are in agreement with the spirit of shame. And the problem is when you're in agreement with it, it's empowered to operate in your life, 
and you, you don't even know that there's a demon there. Imagine walking around and you've got a demon walk is with you all the time and it's just talking into you all the time. And anytime anything happens, immediately shames you. And these terrible, painful feelings rise. You feel guilty. You feel ashamed of yourself. You feel vulnerable. You feel afraid. You want to run away. You want to hide. You begin to bluff and bluster and try and put out a front that you're something different to what you are in reaction to this demonic assault. So this happens to people. It happens to everyone. No one is exempted from those attacks of shame. No one is exempted from the attacks of the accuser. Even Jesus, when he began his ministry, in Luke chapter uh, 4, uh, it tells us that the devil said to him immediately, he said, if you be the son of God, prove it. In other words, I don't really think you're the son of God. I don't think you are who you say you are. You better do something to establish yourself. When Jesus is on the cross, if you're the son of God, come on down. Prove you something. Prove you can do it. You understand that this is an attack of the devil against people's identity. And so the, the devil always said, let me show you another example of it. It's found in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. <laughs> Nehemiah was, uh, his name means the comfort of God. He's a very much a picture of the Holy Spirit, but he was a builder. He was a builder. He had a mission in life to build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and demolished. And as with every work of God, immediately you begin the work, the devil comes to do certain things. Notice what he does here. It says verse, uh, we'll pick it up at verse uh, 18. I told them of the hand of my Lord, of, the, of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words he'd spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to the good work. So they've got a vision together of building something great for the Lord. And, the, and then it says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite the official uh, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what's this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Let's just stop there. The moment they tried to build something for God, the Bible tells us the enemies, the enemies of God, the enemies of his work, <clears throat> in your version of it, uh, King James, it will say this, they laughed us to scorn. They mocked and ridiculed. They belittled us. In other words, they were shaming them. They were saying words to cause them to feel inadequate for the task that was ahead of them. Who do you think you are? We think you're going to rebel. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? They were hurling abuse and actually mocking and laughing at them. And that is the way that these demonic spirits of shame and fear and so on work together. They mock and ridicule and belittle in it. They belittle you. They try and make you feel small. They try and make you feel inadequate. They try and make the task seem too big and your efforts absolutely insignificant. They actually use shame to disgrace you to giving up what you've started out to do. That's why it's a powerful weapon. We have to learn how to defeat this uh, enemy of shame, how to break it off our life and be unashamed. Now, look what... Look what uh, uh, Nehemiah did. And Nehemiah, remember, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He said, then I answered them and I said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. We are his servants. You notice how strong he is and who we are. We serve a great God and he will prosper us and we are his servants. And you, you got no place here. Get out of here. 
And notice the strong, unashamed response to demonic attack. A strength coming out of relationship with God, a strength coming out of knowing who he was, and an absolute intolerance for any shaming by anyone else. And so as we take this journey out of shame to become unashamed, one of the things you have to develop in your life is a great confidence in this God we serve. He is a great God. He is an awesome God. He is a good God. He is a faithful God. He is a mighty God. Oh, and I'm one of his servants. Say, so you need to know who you are. You need to know your value to God. And so we'll see that the journey out of shame involves changing how we see God, changing how we see ourselves, and changing how we relate to others. Because most of the shaming that comes, comes through people. And so there's partly the shame we have to deal with, the shame of our own sin, our own failure, and the demons that come with all of that. But also there's a shaming that comes through people, and that's the other area I want to talk about. I want you to be able to recognize it. Maybe you'll recognize one or two things here. And then we're going to look at the path out. And I want to break it down into some steps out of shame. Just how you actually break the hold of this thing around your life until you change the way you live your life. And it will affect your relationships because there's some things you're not going to stand for anymore. There's some things you won't put up with anymore. And there may be there's some people that you've hung out with who keep shaming you. You won't hang out with them anymore. You just got to make a decision I'm going to be who God called me to be. I'm going to walk with the Lord, and I ain't taking shame from no one. You've got to get that sort of thing inside you, see? And uh, so let's have a look then. I want to just list for you some, some ways that others shame us. When, when people shame us, when people deliberately by words or their actions against us cause us to feel damaged or different or, or something's wrong with us, Initially, you feel tremendous pain. I'm going to give you some examples of it. You may identify with some of them. But what happens is we begin, particularly when children are very young, children who are very young are very self-referenced. So what they do is whatever's going on around them, they tend to think that I'm somehow the cause of it. So if mum's angry, somehow I'm the cause of it. They tend to blame themselves. Later on as they grow up, others tend to shame them in different ways. So I want to list for you now, a few ways that people can be shamed. Uh, first one is when a child is born out of wedlock, often the mother feels tremendous shame. She feels embarrassed about her condition, and she carries with her a sense of shame. That can be imparted so that the child, even from birth, feels shame around their life. Something's wrong with me. I wasn't wanted, wasn't expected. There's something not right about me. So a person can grow up not even being aware that this thing has been in them right from the core of their being, right from when they first began. The truth is, God always wanted you, and your birth was not a surprise to Him. The lie is, you were never wanted, and with that, powerless to change that thing, the feelings of shame, something's wrong with me. Second area, of course, is, the, is one, uh, is that of physical abuse. When people hit or beat or slap around a child or an adult, the person feels very vulnerable and they feel ashamed of themselves, feel ashamed of being weak and vulnerable. Physical abuse inevitably leads to shame and fear. It always does. <clears throat> so it's a major doorway into people's lives. Hitting, beating, especially if there's anger, strong anger. So many parents will discipline their child in anger and what the message the child gets is not what you're trying to get them to get. 
The message the child gets is there's something wrong with me. They're angry at me. And they don't even connect the behavior very much to what you're saying or doing, or they've picked up the anger and the way they've been disciplined, and they take on a message of shame. They feel humiliated and walk away, and they start to begin to get uh, feelings and and, uh, beliefs of shame around their life. Another one is verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is a major one. Verbal abuse is where people uh, begin to shame someone by calling them names. Oh, you're stupid. Oh, you, you know, you're this or you're that, or where they call them a name. Big ears. You just big ears. And so the child gets a name, and that name associated with something they're powerless to change causes them to feel tremendous shame about a part of their body. And so all of us at some stage would have experienced shaming where it came from whatever source over words spoken to us, name calling, where you were called a name. Sometimes a nickname is given. It's rarely ever to your credit. It's usually a nickname that's uh, derogatory and shaming. And when you take that on board and allow yourself to be called by that, you've allowed that shaming to come upon your life. Very hard to live differently then. If you have a name, use your name. Don't let people put a nickname on you that's uh, shaming to you or highlights some lack in your life. So verbal abuse, name calling, scolding, labeling, and uh, constant criticism, constant belittling. You're so this, you never do this. or you're the, So those kind of statements speak in and, and cause the person to become ashamed of themselves. And the shame gets around them and then they begin to internalize it. Then they begin to feel that way right through life. No longer is the person abusing them, but they still feel like they're getting it everywhere they go and they react angrily. Sexual abuse also causes people to feel tremendous shame. There's almost nothing like sexual abuse to cause a person to feel ashamed. Sexual abuse means they were exposed to seeing something they never wanted to see, hearing something they never wanted to hear, being touched in a way or forced to do things that they never wanted to do. That causes the person to feel a deep sense of shame around their life. Uh, Tamar in the Bible in 2 Samuel was assaulted and sexually uh, abused by her stepbrother or half-brother, and she said, where shall I cause my shame to go from me? And the Bible says she was desolate. The shame came around her life, and she couldn't hold her head up. She just covered herself and hid and could not function properly in life as a person because of the way she had been shamed. This is the horrendous thing about sexual abuse is the shaming it, lives, it brings around people and the, the, the child or the, as an adult then becomes covered over. They can never enter into intimacy because there's this deep shame grips them. If you see what I'm really like and what was really done and what I was a part of, then you'll reject me. And sometimes uh, because of the way the child responds when they're being abused, they then feel even more ashamed about how they've responded in the abuse and feel more guilty. And most times an abuser will put the blame on the innocent person so they feel as though somehow it was all my fault. Now, when you get some cultures where sexual abuse is extremely rife and no one's saying or doing anything about it, then the whole culture becomes riddled with shame. The whole family becomes shame-based because of the way it operates. And I've been around some families and the the name-calling, the name-calling that goes on, I've just literally cringed at the words that I've heard people called by someone supposed to be their brother or sister. It goes on all over. I've noticed among Maori people quite often, 
when I've been with them, I've heard the most horrendous shaming of one another. See, when we should be building one another up instead of putting one another down. And words, shame people. Words have death and life. Words have power to shame. It's not just in that culture. It also exists in our culture in various forms, different forms. That same putting down, those words. Another way that, uh, that uh, people are shamed is in the area of emotions. How many heard the statement, boys don't cry? And so what happens? You get exposed to that after a while. You begin to believe inside. You're embarrassed about your emotions. So you begin to shut the emotions down. You have many men today, and they cannot express healthy emotions in marriage or relationships because they were shamed about their emotions. It's something wrong with me if I have emotions. Many young boys exposed to that whole Kiwi thing of rugby, racing, and beer, and they're perhaps more gentle or creative and sensitive. They become shamed about what they're like and become very vulnerable to homosexual relationships. Shame is a very powerful thing. I remember being at school, if you didn't play rugby, what's wrong with you? What's the message you get? Something wrong with me if I don't play rugby. What if I just don't like it and don't want to? That's got nothing to do with it. There's something weird about you. You understand that? There's a shame message goes with it. It's in the culture. It's in our culture, very strongly in our culture. If we don't recognize it and then begin to learn how to deal with it, both in stopping it coming around our own life and standing up and not shaming others, we're going to find it'll happen continually to us. See, unfavorable comparisons. Why can't you be like your brother? That shames you. You'll never be like your brother. You'll never be like your sister. You'll never be like someone else. You're unique. But the, the, the belief that comes with it is you should be like them. Well, actually, no, you shouldn't because you're unique. You're different. See, the lie of shame is I'm different and that's bad. But the truth is I'm different and it's good. Can you understand that you get that lie builds in? So you'll see that in dealing with shame, you have to start to deal with the lies that people build up. We build up in our heart as a result of it. Manipulation and control. If you love me, you'll do this. You know what happens is people begin to, they, they begin to perform to get the approval and then they feel ashamed that they gave up what they really thought. And what happens in so many ways, and I've seen this, I've actually had to deal with it in my own life quite in a major way of so much wanting to be approved that you actually don't say what you really think when you should be speaking. You're silent because you feel ashamed that your view, your thoughts, your ideas are different to someone else's. Now, of course, as a believer, our thoughts and our lifestyle and lots of the things we do are different. So we've got to be unashamed of that difference because that difference is unique, it's good, and actually the, the difference that we can bring to the world is well to make it healthy. Amen? Okay, come on, give you a couple more. You're getting very quiet about this. But constant blaming and criticism. Uh, uh, blaming. People who have got shame in their life will blame everyone else. Remember when, when Adam, first thing he did, hey, God, you, you're the trouble and that woman you gave me. See, blaming is an evidence or a reaction of shame. So you get some families where blame is people are always being blamed. When you get a culture of blame, people will feel ashamed. They always feel something's wrong with them. I can never do it good enough. A rescuing where a parent takes up the role of the child well beyond what they should do. And they begin to take their responsibilities on. The child feels something, I'm not good enough. I can't do anything right. And uh, so rescuing where a parent uh, over-rescues a child creates a huge issues in them. Here's another one, financial poverty. 
Poverty in a family or poverty in your background can bring great shame. Can bring great shame. Because often when you go to school, you see these kids with all this stuff, and then they begin to point out or make fun of or ridicule you and what you have or don't have. Tremendous shame can take place. A lot of people have been driven to success in finances well, well beyond what they should have because they were shamed as a child at school. Recognize that one. It's, it's a major one, that one. Here's another one. Uh, teachers ridicule in front of peers. Many times in schools, uh, teachers, instead of actually being able to encourage, lift, and build, they ridicule or they say words that make the child belittled in front of their peers. I can remember being belittled in front of my peers. I can remember it as clearly as if it was yesterday. That's how vivid it was. A teacher standing over me at the age of 17, shouting at me because I couldn't understand something. You don't forget it. It shames you because they're yelling. The whole class's attention is on who? On you and your lack of ability in some kind of way. It's appalling. Absolutely appalling. People are shamed and belittled and then they then they struggle to overcompensate and try and cope with what they've taken on board. See? So ridicule in front of peers. Uh, another place that takes place is peer ridicule at school. It's one of the worst places. That's why if you can build a strong young people's culture and you've got two or three of you standing together, you can be quite supportive in school. But often in school, kids are merciless. They will pick on a physical defect and they'll ridicule the person. Maybe there's a, a, some kind of mental handicap or slow uh, or, or disability. They pick on it and they're merciless. Maybe it's because of your color. They kind of, kids are shocking the way they'll do this. They'll speak and then the child becomes ashamed of who they are and then don't want to go to school. I hate it. Some people are ashamed because of their gender. I know and have prayed for many women who are ashamed to be a woman. If only they were a man, they would be treated different in life. If only they were a man, their dad would have really connected with them and done something with them and, and invested into their life. So people can be totally ashamed of being a woman. A woman ashamed of being a woman, she will then conceal her femininity. Her true identity is covered over. She tries to compensate. You probably know people like that. Divorce can cause great shaming. Yeah, when, uh, in the era when my father grew up, if, you had, if a divorce took place, it was put in the newspapers and advertised as a shaming, a public ridicule. Okay? It's got a lot less now. It's become more acceptable, but there's still a tremendous shame that children feel when their parents break up and they're caught in the middle of the conflict and fight between one and the other. They live with shame. Something's not right about me. I probably am to blame for this. Getting some of the ideas? There's a whole heap of male chauvinism is another one. Male chauvinism is a major one in our culture. Male chauvinism is an arrogant pride by insecure males that try to make out they're better than women. And women feel it. Sexist comments, sexist treatment. All of this, actually, what it does is it devalues and dehumanizes the woman. It makes them feel like they're a sex object rather than a person. That means they're being shamed. And women feel that deeply. I've prayed for many women who wept and wept and wept, feeling shamed because they were treated just like a sex object. Many men uh, who do not value their wives or uh, learn how to cultivate love, cultivate intimacy in marriage, and then just have sexual relationship with their wife, she feels cheapened and used by that and feels 
shamed by this. This is what goes on in our society. It's what goes all around. And we, we need to recognize this invasion of our lives by shame, where it comes, how it comes, and then begin to work to deal with it. When I was in, uh, in uh, uh, Taiwan, the Lord spoke to me how there was something they did in the culture there which shamed people. I began to just speak prophetically about it. Before I knew it, I had, I had about, about 80 people up there weeping and wailing because they had been shamed by being scolded. In an Asian culture, they, they scold them often to correct them. And when the scolding is very angry and very strong put down, and the person becomes ashamed. And so shame is used to control the person in the family. It happens in churches, and I picked it up in some churches. I said, you can't talk that way. That's not how you talk to the children of God. They're children of God just like you and I are. You can't do that to them. It's, it's an evil. And so what we did then was I ministered to them, well, you can't believe the demons that came out of everyone because they've been scolded. Spirits of death, uh, spirits of hate, self-hate, spirits of shame, all kinds of demons come out of people. They screamed, and I haven't seen such a spectacular display in a long time. But it was over the issue of being scolded by someone trying to control their behavior. Many times in families, people try and control the behavior of others by shaming them. Another kind of shaming is ethnic shaming. The Bible tells us God has made us out of every tribe, kindred, nation, every ethnic group has made one people. Yet what happens is we think that we're somehow better than others. And usually, to put it bluntly, the ones who are in the majority think they're better than the ones who are in the minority. And the ones in the minority feel shamed because they're not accepted, valued, or received like everyone else. That's true. And the church is somehow going to have to get a grip with this one because the church is growing now in this coming decade. It's going to become multicultural and it's going to have to face the issue of how to cross uh, not only the gender gap, but particularly the cultural gap between different cultures. And so cultural shaming means we think that we're better than someone else. Our way is better. See? And so there's a shaming comes on the minority group until the minority become the majority. And it turns out they think just like us, that our way is better. And now we're in the minority and now we're shamed. That's what goes on. That's what happens. Rarely does a group of people coming into a nation to settle there think their way of doing things is less than the way of the people in the nation. They think it's more important or it's better. And when they've got enough numbers, then they become the predominant culture and they shame the other culture. But Jesus has called us to be of one culture. He calls out of every tribe, every nation to become one culture, kingdom of God culture. It'll have tremendous variety of expressions depending on the culture people have come from, but it's still a kingdom of God culture and it's not a Western individualistic culture. We have a Western mindset which we think is normal it's completely anti-biblical. The Bible's concerned about family, about community. We're all about looking after me, number one, and getting ahead. And that breaches the whole concept of what God has built into his own culture. 
and which some, some cultures on the earth really welcome that. Hey, you're not quiet. <laughs> Don't get too serious on me. Interesting, isn't it, eh? Here's another area where people get shamed, and that is through the media. The media shame us. Now, how do the media do it? Have you ever sat in front of a TV and watched some of the adverts? You'll notice they do the same thing. That in order to be happy, you need such and such a product. And they're extremely clever. That you can't be happy. How can you possibly say your life is right? Unless you have. Ta-da. And so, so we need all kinds. Your kids get in front of the television, you know, to be happy. They've got to have that latest toy. Get them away from the tally. You won't have half the expenses. <laughs> okay, then. So we get this. And then, of course, the other place that shaming takes place is in the area of the church. Church is one of the worst at shaming people. Unfortunately, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to have, the, it does. Jesus has entrusted us the keys of releasing people from shame. And yet, often, what happens is through a judgmental attitude, we cause people to feel ashamed about being different. And you see, that, that judgmental attitude, Jesus confronted continually. The Jews, the Pharisees of his day, failed to recognize that the call of God encompassed all nations of the earth. They had uh, gender prejudice, they had religious prejudice, they had racial prejudice or ethnic prejudice, and when Jesus confronted it, they just wanted to kill him. You, you read Jesus' first ministry, first message that's reported Jesus preached. And you find what happens. And found in Luke chapter 4, he preached. They said, what a lovely preacher, what a nice man. And then he began to tell them how God had blessed the Gentiles. That was it. They were up. They want to kill him. You understand that Jesus confronted these things, continually confronted anything in the society that brought shame to people. And eventually, they crucified him for doing that. So there we get some idea now on shaming. How many, how many people have come in and you felt like you didn't fit? There's something wrong with me. And you felt shame because it was a judgmental attitude. People are sensitive to that. It resonates with what they already got struggling inside. Okay, how are we going to get out of it? So let me just define it and then show the steps out of it. And then I will get started on them. Looks like I won't get started too far today. But let me give you the keys. I want you to see where we can go on this. So we begin to recognize these doors. So shame is an accusing spirit that torments people. It's an emotional wounding and pain that people have. And shame is also a deep belief, how I see myself and how I see the world and God. So it's a belief, it's an emotion, it's a spirit. And if I'm going to get free of shame, I've got to recognize what's needed to get rid of what. And there's different things needed to get rid of different things. If you had a learning disability, chances are you have tremendous shame and you've tried to cover your, your inability to read all these years. Ashamed that it'll be found out. I couldn't believe it. it was the first time I'd actually ever met people couldn't read was when I went to Dannyburg. It never occurred to me people couldn't read. It just never occurred. And, I, and it did. It was quite a surprise for me. And uh, then I found that it was actually quite common. And then I found that God helped people who couldn't read. Found one man there, amazing man. He never could read, and he asked God to help him, and he could read the Bible. Couldn't read anything else, he could read the Bible. I heard him read it many times, fluently. Couldn't read anything else, and God gave him grace to do it. But he used to hide the fact that he couldn't actually read anything else and had to get his wife to do everything. He'd become ashamed of it. Okay, how do we get out of shame? So let me give you the four parts of getting out of shame. Well, four things I've identified are crucial, and we'll see if we can get one started. Number one, number one, how am I going to get out of shame? 
How am I going to get this thing that's wrapped around me so I don't like who I am and I want to hide from you? How can I get that off my life? Here we are, number one. Number one, I must come to Christ the shame bearer. I need to come to Christ. Now, I'll open these parts up for you, each one of them up, and develop them. But the first thing I need, Christ carried my shame at the cross. He is able to take shame off my life. He is able to totally set me free, not only set me free from shame, but restore what originally got us shamed, which is being separated from God. He is able to put his spirit in me, so the glory that was originally there in man now has come back inside man, and we carry the glory of God within us. So the first step to getting free of shame is nothing cosmetic on the outside. It's a deep transforming change coming to Jesus Christ who took our shame on the cross. He took the shame as he hung naked upon a cross. And then by faith in him, I can receive his spirit into my life. And the Bible says then I become a new creation. I become a different person. I'm one of God's kids now. I have a new identity. Now the dilemma is, of course, is to shift your thinking to embrace the new identity. That's where we'll get to in just a moment. Second thing I need to do is I need to break my attachments to shame. I need to break free from any attachments to shame. I need to break free of them. I'll show you how to do that. We'll share that next week. I need to break free of any place shame has got attached on my life. Maybe it was some parent shame me. Maybe it was the family background. Maybe it was where I was in school. Maybe it was failure. Maybe whatever it was, it was done or happened that caused shame to get a hold of me. I need to break that thing and cancel its power. I need to let go what's held me there. I need to forgive the people involved. Bring the grief and pain of it to the cross. I have to deal with that. Then the third thing I need to do is begin to change the way I think. That takes, that's the bit that takes the effort and the time. I need to change my inner beliefs, how I see God and how I see myself. If you don't shift how you believe, Bible says, as a man believes, that's how he lives his life. So if you don't shift what you believe about yourself, you will live out of the old shame-based belief system. So it's not a matter of just getting delivered. It's not a matter of just becoming a Christian. I need to shift totally my, the way I see myself to agree with how God sees me now. And that's where many of us have not shifted. We still think of ourselves as we were before we came to Christ. And you can tell because of the shame that still lingers. And finally, the last thing I've got to do is I have to learn or change. I have to change the way I relate to people. I have to change the way I relate to people. Number one, come to Christ, the one who took our shame. Number two, break my attachments to shame. Number three, shift how I see myself and how I see God. And four, change the way I relate. In other words, I need to learn how to refuse being shamed by people. I've got to learn how to do that. We'll share some things, show you how to do it. I've got to stop shaming other people. See? I've got to stop shaming them. I've got to change totally how I am on the inside there. I've got to change, and I've got to stop comparing myself with anyone else. Start to celebrate who I am. So comparing with others leads to shame. Because always you compare the best in another man with the worst in yourself. 
So he said, I've got to stop that kind of behavior. I've got to change how I connect with people. So if they shame me, I've got to learn how to confront it, push it away, and separate from that kind of people. If, if, if I've been one who shamed other people, I've got to stop shaming people. Otherwise, it'll just come back. I'll reap what I've sown. So you get any idea now? So to shift out of this thing of shame, the first place is to become attached to Jesus Christ, the one who carried our shame. And I'll develop these things over the next couple of weeks.